Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jim Markwith. I'm a managing partner from Markwith Law, a firm that specializes in healthcare IT, interoperability, and open source software, but mainly in the healthcare space. So if we can go to the next slide. Oh, sorry. And before you switch it, I'm also the general counsel for the Commonwealth Health Alliance, a nonprofit that sets industry standards and provides services for a nationwide health record network. So I'm going to be talking about that. My background, I'm an attorney. I was a software attorney from the beginning, working at Microsoft on their standards and interop space, standards and interoperability team, and their server and tools space. So then after Microsoft, I went to GE Healthcare IT, then to Allscripts Healthcare. At Allscripts Healthcare, I helped put together and draft the founding documents for the Commonwealth Health Alliance, which is what I'll start off talking about. I'm here with my colleague, Christoph Jackson, Dr. Christoph Jackson. I'll turn it over to you, Christoph, for a quick introduction. Well, greetings, everyone, and so happy to be here. My name is Dr. Christoph Jackson. I'm actually the CEO of a med tech company, Liminal, which actually looks at a focus on patient interaction and understanding how better they understand blockchain and also increasing access to care. My PhD areas are actually in neurobiology, mechanical engineering, and piano performance. I'm also the associate research professor at University of Tulsa, where I lead biomedical design and engineering. I'm also a physician assistant in neurosurgery, trauma, ortho, as well as advanced urology. And so we normally try to take those perspectives from medicine, science, engineering, and design to best approach technology solutions. Great, thank you. Christoph? Here's a quick agenda, what we're going to go through. Start off with standards. So when I'm talking about standards and interop, I wanted to talk about the history of standards and interop when it comes to electronic health records. Then we're going to talk about the future state, and we're going to talk about then the current state and the future state, and that's where Christoph is going to jump in. So let's go back to 2012. Back in 2012, during the BPC meeting, most of the electronic health records companies were there and present. Cerner, McKesson, Allscripts, Greenway. And at the time, the ONC was led by Farzad Mastashari. And he said, hey, you electronic health records vendors, if you don't solve the interoperability problem, the government's going to do it for you. And he put down a challenge. And present at that BPC meeting was Cerner, McKesson, Greenway, Allscripts Healthcare, and CPSI, and SunQuest. So those were the original folks that got together and said, let's try to solve the problem. Back in 2012, 2013, here's what electronic health records looked like. GE had their own electronic health records solution. So did Cerner. So did McKesson. They were all in silos. 
no ability to transact between those silos. They're often in different specifications, in different formats, and there's no interop. So if you're getting health care in Florida and you go just to the next county over, you can't get your health record, okay, if you're with a different health system, let alone across the United States. And, of course, they were faxing. They're still faxing of medical records now, but back in that day, it was all there was was faxing or picking up documents and carrying them with you to the next doctor. So that was 2013, very fragmented, no interoperability between electronic health records vendors. And think about this group here was the group of everybody but Epic, okay? Epic has very wide distribution and their system is very wide and quite broad, but these are all the folks that were not with Epic. So it was at HIMSS 2013 in New Orleans where the group, the founders of the Commonwealth Alliance, announced their launch and their plan was to, they announced their vision. The vision was to allow patients to get access to their health records on a nationwide basis from wherever the health care is going to occur. Back in the time of siloed and broken interoperability, this was a huge kind of pie-in-the-sky idea, a big challenge. Like other standards or interoperability-related challenges, you can't do it alone. Not one industry leader can do it alone. Usually the government can't do it alone. But in this case, it takes, we had seven competitors basically coming together. You think about this. From an antitrust perspective, it's a problem when you go and you start meeting with your competitors, right, in the same space. But the government antitrust group has made it clear and issued letters saying, hey, when it comes to solving interoperability issues, that's an actually, that's a pro-competitive thing. So there's a carve-out for competitors getting together and solving interoperability issues, and this is an example of that. There's seven competitors getting together trying to solve a nationwide problem of lack of interoperability in electronic health records. So this was the vision of the Commonwealth Health Alliance. And they had to start off. If you all know about network effect, you've got to have a network and you have to have participants in the network for network effect to occur. Network effect is necessary for networks to operate properly. But in 2013, there was no switch to flip. We just started off with some pilot sites. The pilot sites were in Florida and Massachusetts. And let me see, do I have a next slide on that? And then we added Detroit, Seattle. Okay, we started off just with hospitals, health care providers who actually wanted to participate in this and volunteered to do it. There was a lot of fear because of HIPAA and all these other regulations. There was a lot of fear about sharing data at all back in 2013. Okay, so we had a very, very small interest in the beginning. So this was 2013, 2014. These were our pilot programs and trying to connect. But we actually did connect these providers and hospitals and actually transmitted electronic health records between them. Fast forward to 2022. That was the past. This is the present. The Commonwealth Health Alliance has grown. The network effect actually has occurred and efficiencies are happening. 
And now we've got 27,000 provider sites that have opted in to be a part of the Commonwealth Health Alliance. There's 171 million, that's almost half the population in the United States, individuals who have opted in to allow their data to be shared to the Commonwealth Health Alliance. Quite amazing. And uh, 2.6 billion records have been shared today, and about 27 million per week health records are actually transmitted, okay, across, um, and this is a nationwide network. So one of the reasons I was asked to talk about this today is that most people don't know this exists. There's a lot of folks out there thinking about what kind of applications they can create. Entrepreneurs thinking about new technologies that they can bring to market, individual health records, related apps, et cetera. And, um, but a lot of them don't know that this is in place, that there's this nationwide network that you could connect into and actually access data on a nationwide basis. It, it exists. Not, a lot, it's not, not everybody knows about it. And it's across all of these uh, uh, care, uh, across the care continuum, you can see it, from acute to uh, payment and operations. So this exists, and uh, I don't have a, a list of the members, but anyway, now the, um, there are, as far as members who, who participate in the Commonwealth Alliance, there's over 80 members, and um, it's about, they, those members represent all of these uh, uh, care, uh, across the care continuum. So that's, this is the present. Let's talk about the future. Everybody's heard about TEFCA, or probably have heard about TEFCA, not everybody, but what the heck is it? Why TEFCA? So TEFCA is, is established by a, a National Coordinator for Health, ONC. The RCE, which is your recognized coordinating entity, is going to be the, the chosen group that's going to manage TEFCA. That is the Sequoia Group, was chosen as the recognized coordinating uh, entity. Think about this as a network of networks. If, if you have a cell phone coverage, everyone has a cell phone. Think if you think about the networks as, as cell phone networks. Think if you had a Verizon account, and your and your relative has AT&T, and you couldn't call between AT&T and Verizon networks. Okay, that's kind of what we have now. We've got the Commonwealth Health Alliance here. We have Care Quality over here. They are connected, but we have other nationwide networks and health information networks that are maybe um, local. They're all not connected. The idea of TEFCA is we're going to push nationwide network interoperability to the next level. We're going to bring AT&T and Verizon together. So the, R the RCE is going to coordinate the QHINs. The QHINs are qualified health information networks. And, and the Commonwealth Health Alliance is going to be one of the first ones. This whole TEFCA scheme, if you look at it and what's required to become a QHIN, is basically designed after the Commonwealth Health Alliance, okay? If you look at what's required, Commonwealth Health Alliance meets all the qualifications. EPIC has, has announced they're going to become a QHIN. Um, and a, a couple local area health information networks in Michigan, uh, MyHIN is going to, is, is, desires to be a QHIN. So um, those QHINs are going to, they're chosen with, with pretty strict criteria. They have to already be up and running already have so many millions of documents transmitted every month, and they have to be in, in have doing that for a couple of years, okay? So these QNs are, the idea is that we really can almost flip the switch, okay? There's still the network effect that's gonna have to be worked out, it's gonna have to grow as, as the 
let's say the connection between the connections between the network grow and also there's the common agreement the common agreement is part of the TEFCA means the last two letters means the common agreement okay and common agreement is that there's also published now the common agreement which is the agreement that needs to be signed between all the QNs and between the QN and the RCE it's a it's a terms and conditions legal terms and conditions that apply to the data about including PHI that's transmitted between them okay one common agreement instead of one of the barriers to interoperability with health care is having to enter into agreements before sharing data including BAA's and those of you in the industry know how hard it is sometimes to get all those documents in place add on top of this the data blocking provisions that are out okay so we have data blocking regulations that say you can't block data for the 21st Century Cures Act and and it requires you to share data including in this environment the TEFCA environment if you don't do it you're going to get penalties monetary penalties so TEFCA comes together we've got the QNs coming together the RCA coordinated coordinate in it this is the future okay up uplifting and increasing the efficiency of a already nation set of nationwide networks that are going to come together pretty exciting you can see below the QNs are participant are participants so if you want to think about how could you let's say you have an idea about a new application or solution that's going to help improve health care with patient outcome for example an application but you don't have access to data how would you take advantage of this you would be on that that row that says participants underneath the QNs the participants are the are companies are that agree to become a participant sign the common agreement work group or the minimum terms of it and then that that party will have access to data a couple important things QNs can't charge QNs other QNs for data okay they have to make it available that with information blocking rules we've got free flow of data for free on a nationwide basis so now if you have an app that hey if I only had access to data this would be a great app for patients and help in health care outcomes well now this is this is the future and what you'll be able to tap into and and get access to data on a nationwide basis and more importantly for patients to get access to their data wherever care occurs and all right so that future is what Christoph is going to talk about and I'll turn it over to Christoph to talk about how why this is important with regards to the future thank you guys and I want to start from this slide because it's a really good way to go into where we want to discuss for the future one of the things that we want to do our biggest impact isn't so much on the providers and the companies the biggest impact we're really here to really talk about is patient behaviors and care and because at the end of the day even at the beginning it is people that matter over profit and that we're doing all this work to really say you've got this fancy car you've got this this really cool technology but if it doesn't connect to that single mother who has three kids and she's struggling and her health is failing and the doctor says you're overweight change it if it can't change and recognize that she can be seen as a person nothing is going to actually change so while all of us are at the level of the participants who we're trying to really engage is going to be 
the people. So, people have a ton of data, but they have little help on how to get healthy and how to stay there. We have made accessible all this great information, and the first thing they're going to say is, why does this data, how is this data and information going to change my life? And I know that one of the things that we're all excited about is the technology, what it can do, but people want to know how is this technology going to impact and change my life for the better and guide their behaviors. Let me give you a couple of perspectives behind that. This is actually a slide um, that I made on some information from NIH, where they're kind of looking at the National Institutes of Health in their repository of information. What this slide really represents as a lot of data they've taken is that only 9 to 12 percent of people can actually understand what is numerically represented, uh, what is verbal, and what is said to them. So written, verbal, graphic. Only 9 to 12 percent of the population. So pretty much the people that are in this room are going to understand medical data, right? Only 10 to 12 percent of people have master's degrees. Even less than 1 percent have doctorate degrees and MDs. Um, 34 to 54 percent face limitation in terms of healthcare literacy, also access, which means it's not even so much about access, it's once they get it, they don't understand it. So patients are telling us their needs, right? More than 40 percent of patients, they don't adhere to, to treatment regimen. It's not because they're bad people. It's not because they want to have these problems. It's because a large part is that the significant understanding that we can derive from the science doesn't necessarily relate to the things they feel that they can understand, let alone get a grasp of. And we also get to forgetting. I forgot to take my pill this morning. How many of us have a medication we take daily and we often forget it? Right. So, and we are informed, and some of us are providers, and so we have to understand that if we also have challenges, so do our patients. But here we have a great example of what we call the trifecta problem, right? Because you've got to be able to get three different groups of people to be able to understand something. One is from the patient, second is the provider, third is the insurer. And I guess I wanted to go with the British version of insurer there because I put an E on it instead of an I. So please forgive me because sometimes I like to speak with a British accent. But I do digress. What I like about this trifecta problem is that we often forget that when we are the patient, the provider, and the insurer, the one thing they all have in common is that healthcare can be very fragmented, but the one thing we all have in common is that they're all people. From the patient, we're trying to decrease their components and we're trying to help them to understand these complex medical decision-making tools. To the providers, we're trying to increase. We only have so many providers, right? They have decreased amount of time, increased amount of demand. I need it now to make a good decision. Insurers want to pay attention to controlling cost. They're not bad. They just often have different perspectives and their line of sight to how they view this problem means they have a different orientation that also has to be con considered. One of the things where I get to this a lot is that it's not that electronic health care records are going to go away, it's just they're going to become more nimble. And one of the things I want to really preface is that we already have a model and a problem that we're being faced right now is that we're, we're going to have to deal something with them. We're going to have to increase it. Which also gets us to what are, what's the real problem? What are we really trying to solve? And why is patient understanding and what we're working on here today relevant? Let's just get it. Let's just get right to the point. We already have an increased demand for care and a decreased number of providers. The only way we're going to get out of this is we got to innovate, baby. That's the only way we're going to get out of this. 
And so when we have decreased amount of providers, we only have a set limited number of those guys, right? Um, the only scalable way is that it's going to take people plus technology. And that's really the most feasible solution that we actually have. We've already talked about this from a patient journal, a patient portal journal. This is things everyone's already understood and actually seeing. But one of the things I think we really have to take into account is how is this going to be designed with the perspective of the patient, their engagement, and their understanding? How are we going to simplify that for them? So, design principles. Um, this is something that we do a lot in industry, especially when we're trying to make a device. We need to design to value which means we kind of need to design for the end in mind and beyond it. So in order to get to the future state, we need to kind of start with saying, what are we going to do now that's going to set us up better for something that's in the future, five, 10, 100 years from now? These are some principles, guiding principles that people have started using, but they come from one of the greatest designers we've ever known by the name of Dieter Rahm's principles. And one of the things that he says that I didn't represent on this slide is, Good design is actually not only having to design as little as possible, which means it should be simple, should be clearly communicated, it should have little to, uh, it should be as approachable and as tangible as possible, it should do good for the environment, and these are the kind of principles that people want. They really appreciate simplicity on the other side of complexity. A great example is DoorDash, right? All people know is when they get that food, they they order it, they get it through, boom, it shows up at my door in five to 10 minutes. What people don't know is that what's under the hood of that AI is some really amazing logistics software. No one actually knows that because the design and how it engages its user, it's, it, the people who actually, the consumers, seems so simple and elegant, but yet they get what they actually need. So it's a huge market, right? It's one of the reasons why we're talking about it uh, it's a huge market, but at the same time, it's also a huge value in so many other ways. Not only just from the value that can be created in terms of markets, but also with respect to the people to with which whom it will affect, right? Here's some of the biggest guiding words that I really want to focus on. Is that people may forget your name, but, may, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And one of the things that I really wanted to, to take the perspective away is that I really want to talk about how many of us have really focused on technology and the great bells, the whistles. The things I really want us to focus on is perspective of how is this patient going to have this technology be a part of their lives in a way that is meaningful, significant, life-changing, and simple. How are we going to address their pain points? So that as we design this great technology, that it is going to be personalizable, specific, uh, comprehensive, and global. Some of the research that I just want to highlight for you is that we still don't know what that looks like. How can your technology take into account that you're male, female, from whatever socioeconomic demographic you are from, whatever your religious beliefs or, or whatever belief system that you may have, that your app is able to encompass that so that you're literally able to be more engaged in a way that is meaningful. And however that data is collected, wherever that data follows you, it is secure, it is private, and it is demonstrative to you. One of the other things I also want to highlight is when we talk about what the face of lack of access means, 
people will probably say that that face looks like mine, right? However, the actual, for the entire country, the face of lack of healthcare or underinsured looks more like Jim. And that's are some of the things that we have seen and what we want to do is if you're either underinsured, no insurance, you still matter. And blockchain and design and the aspects for democratization as well as for increasing the market and savings value in and of itself, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Are there any questions? Yeah. Just briefly, a little time. Might as well. Please. Um, I'm sorry, can you say that again? So the Tefka network is a voluntary network. And um, in order to be a QHIN, for example, one of the main players that works directly under the RCE, you have to apply for it. And the application just dropped um, last week or two weeks ago. It's available. Um, and um, so, but there's a lot of self-filtering or self-selection before applying is highly encouraged. And if you look at the TEFCA website, what, was, what the requirements are to become a QHIN, it's very difficult. Um, and that's by design, because the um, RCE really wants TEFCA to be able to be operational from the beginning. It's not for beginners to become a QHIN. But there's plenty, but if you are new and you don't have the ability to become a TEFCA from a technical perspective, for example, been in the business for two years and, and transferring, I think it's like 20 million documents a, a month or something like that, whatever their requirements are, you can be a participant, so don't worry about it. You can still participate in TEFCA. Um, but it's voluntary. And uh, the, I was part of the Common Agreement work group for the last two years. So we, experts in the industry were selected to work on TEFCA with, with Sequoia and RCE to draft the documents, for example. So the industry has been involved for the last two years. Um, so some those folks were chosen by their, uh, by their expertise and understanding of the environment and the, and the solutions. But participation is voluntary. Yes? Yeah, the question is, if the Commonwealth is so well established, how come it's not well known? That's a great question. Great question. It's because um, a lot of patients, like um, Dr. Jackson was saying, they, they don't know what's under the hood. They just care about getting data, right? And data that's relevant to them. So although the, the Commonwealth Health Alliance is out there, it's, the end points are your providers, your hospitals, your doctors, your clinics, okay? And then it's those folks that give, that get consent from the patients. But the patients don't necessarily know that the network is out there. They don't know about it. 99% of them don't know. Um, but they do know that, that their data comes in once they, they agree and opt in, or however that uh, provider does it, and gives consent for their records to be shared on the Somewhere in the document, if they read it carefully, they'll see that they're opting into the Commonwealth Health Alliance, but most of them won't know it. 
so so technical people know it health care providers know it but not the common not the public in general usually yes That's a great idea. And Dr. Jackson might be the better person to answer that because he's actually, uh, he has a company uh, that is focusing on that and it's all, I'll take it away. Absolutely. So that's actually the biggest component that actually, um, that I deal with actually my chief scientific officer, Colin, is here with me as well. And this is one of the things that we actually do. Um, you know, while I'm also a clinician, it gives me the ability to take off my science hat and while he gets to be the science, and we play dirty dozens. So we try to play stomp the chump, and then we take it immediately to the patient. So I get to be the provider. The real reality are, let me uh, say that several stages. One, there are lots of open source design tools that are already available, right? Internet of Things. There are lots of great things that are designed, right? There are lots of ways of innovating this. And Apple devices, all these other devices are creating the components, but they're only, they're only building blocks. You still have to take into account how is a person going to use that? What what are their limitations? What are their factors? Actually, occupational therapy looks at this, right? Activities of daily living. What's their feeling about it? And so this is still the area that we still need to do better research in. And this is really the opportunity, I think, the challenge and the call to the group. And we are willing to work with any of you. Um, even as a research professor, I'm specifically asking that question what is good design and how do we know that it's going to impact and change behavior. That's something everyone can, can be a part of. I agree, and to add to that, it's all about uh, patient, patient access to their own health records that they should own and this should be patient-centered. How best can that patient interact with that? It's up to innovators like Dr. Jackson uh, who, who are, need to create apps to allow those patients to best utilize that. And you know, the race is on and hopefully uh, we get better apps out there that are more patient-centric. Thank you all for your time. Yeah, thank you.